Previously on Snicktoons, I was joined by the host of Marvel Plus, Brett Scott, to break down X-Men the Animated Series Season 3, Episode 1, Out of the Past, Part 1, and it was awesome. Uh, Fantastic episode to cover, and it's always a great time talking Wolverine and Wolverine villains with my pal, Brett, again from Marvel Plus. So, Go check out his stuff if you have not. Of course, before we even did our episode breakdown, we had a big old discussion about one, uh, or at least another one, of our mutual favorite superheroes, and that is Batman. And so we did a comparison. We each pitched each other an idea for a Batman-Wolverine crossover event. So that was a lot of fun. Again, if you haven't checked out the last episode uh, Snicktoons number 28, go check it out because like I said, I had Brett Scott and we covered X-Men, the animated series season three, episode one on today's episode. I welcome Brett back to finish off the season three premiere and we cover season three, episode two out of the past part two. All right, bub, as you heard at the top of the show, we are back with Brett Scott from Marvel Plus. Yeah, I'm not even going to bury the lead this time around. We are back with Brett. We spoiled it in the last episode anyway, telling you all like, hey, guess what? Next week, Brett's back. So here he is, Mr. Marvel Plus himself. Brett, welcome back to Snicktoons, my man. Dude, thank you. Um, I'm only I'm a little disappointed that the audience will never get to hear the first 40 minutes <laughs> that we were just speaking. Um, great conversation. Not a lot about X-Men, but it was a fantastic conversation we were having. Um, so this is one of my favorite things about about talking to you is like we can just talk about anything, man. Like half the time we're like, what are we going to talk about this time? And then two hours later. Like, oh, that that was pretty easy to come up with stuff to talk about. (laughs) Well, we'll do a a quick shameless plug then, because uh, I know that you usually record our conversations as well for for your own nefarious purposes and whatnot. But uh, yes, you'll probably end up putting all of that pre episode conversation up on your Patreon. So uh, shameless plug for the Marvel Plus Patreon. Check it out, listeners. Yeah, thank you. Uh, A lot of great stuff, man. Like I said, nothing to do with X-Men. There's a lot of, like, Sin City and Batman talk. But, (laughs) yeah, if you're just into, like, nerdy geek stuff outside of the X-Men universe, go check out the Patreon. Yeah, yeah. And if if you're a 37-year-old white man, then uh, you probably like the same stuff that that we like. So uh, (laughs) check out Brett's uh, Patreon there. We, look, the chances that they are 37-year-old white men are like 90%. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen my demographics <laughs> on Anchor, and um, like 95% of my listeners are in that like 35 to 44 demographic. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure it's all just like dudes our age, maybe a year yep. older, maybe a year younger, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> yes. Yep, same. <laughs> But hey, these are my people, so there, there you go. Um, 
So, Brett, uh, last week we had you on, and, and one of the things that we talked about was the Batman, and that kind of led us into our our episode topic, which was, you know, we were going to – we pitched each other a Batman-Wolverine crossover story, and I, I loved our ideas. I, I told my idea and your idea to the kids, uh, and, and both of my sons agree, like, we need to see someone – draw Wolverine with kryptonite claws. Like that was a big hit in the car uh, as we were going on a drive and just talking about Wolverine and Batman. They thought my yeah. idea was okay too. Um, but yeah, the, the Wolverine with kryptonite claws landed really well in the car. The boys loved it. So uh, that was pretty cool. But how, how, got, how old are your, how old are your sons again? They are 11 and eight. Okay. That makes sense. Cause kryptonite claws is definitely like a, eight to 10 age range idea. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So they were like, Oh man, that sounds amazing. Like, Oh, and he fights Superman. Oh, like they, they were. And then I told him my idea. I'm like, yeah, well, Wolverine fights Bane. And they're like, who cares? Like Wolverine fights Superman, like whatever. Uh, so, so you, so you sold them there. Um, but it kind of got me thinking, you know, that, Batman and Wolverine never ever having their official crossover or anything like that, but we did get a Batman and a Wolverine merging together as Dark Claw in the Amalgam universe. Yes. And and I've talked on the podcast before on 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 Snicked Proper about like my ideas for a new Amalgam universe where I would actually merge Batman and Spider-Man together and I would merge Superman and Iron Man together and I would merge like Green Lantern and Captain America together and and Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman, all the, you know, the the big names and all that. And it kind of got me thinking, like, if we didn't merge Batman with Wolverine, who would Wolverine's best Amalgam partner be? And I believe you actually have something prepared on your new Wolverine amalgam. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I had to think about this one a little bit, and it might come off as a little obvious when, when I say it. But um, I think you could make a great story, and I think the art would be spectacular. I don't know if we were picking um, if we were picking creative teams for this as well, uh, but I but I did. I picked a couple people that I would like to see bring these bring these characters this character to life um but i think it would be really cool to see wolverine mixed with wolverine if we could get a wolverine deathstroke crossover that turned into the amalgam like somehow they merge i don't know how they merge but the reason I, i put these two together is i think like i said i think it comes off as pretty obvious but they have a lot of similarities in their background they're all they're both um, like ex-military. They're both um, government experiments. Uh, they both have healing factors. Um, and, and we know that Deadpool is basically a ripoff of Deathstroke. <laughs> and so I've always felt like, you know, Wolverine and Deadpool, at least in the Ryan Reynolds universe, are like very connected, right? Like they're, he's always bringing up Wolverine, Logan, Hugh Jackman, um, that feud is glorious. But I think the next best thing we could see, and if we could cross over with DC, I think that would be Wolverine and Deathstroke. I think you could come up with a pretty cool story involving, like, some sort of government corruption or, like, those two against against a government entity. And, like I said, I think the art 
could be spectacular with the right creative team. And yeah, I don't know how much we were going into this. Like if you wanted to go into an actual story, cause I don't really have a story. Um, <laughs> but I did come up with a creative team who I think would, would, uh, would bring them to life. Um, so I would have Mark Silvestri mm. doing the pencils because I love his Wolverine. I was looking back at like the, you know, I like Wolverine volume two, like that's my jam. And yep. if you go back to those, like, I don't know, forties and fifties, those issues, like right around where they did the, uh, I loved issue 50 with that crazy, uh, cardboard cover with the, with the claws cut out. Oh yeah. That was, oh man, that was awesome. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of Sylvester art around that era for Wolverine. And I just love how it comes off. Um, and so what I did is like knowing that I liked that era of, of Sylvester's work, I wanted to go back and pick a creative team that normally worked with him around that era. And so if you look back at, I specifically went to episode 50. He had Dan Green on inks and one second here because I wrote it down. I don't remember who was on colors. Steve Budicelli? Budicelli? How do you pronounce that? Buccellato? Do you know the name I'm speaking? There you go. <laughs> Him on colors. Dude, I know nothing about colorists. I really don't. I think we discussed this in the last one. I'm just like <laughs> literally looking for colorists that did stuff that I liked. So there you go. That That's the creative team. I want to see a Wolverine Deathstroke amalgam. That uh, that is awesome. They can call they can call the uh, the miniseries like Weapon Death, you know, which is like so ridiculously yes. on the nose, but would yes. work perfectly, especially if they wrote it and drew it as if it were happening in the nineties. Because like that was one of the cool things about yeah. Amalgam, right? Is like when they when they published those like those all those fake number ones, they they the ones that were supposed to have been from the forties, you know, they wrote them like they were a forties comic. The ones that Right. The, in, like in the second wave, they did like the new Dark Claw Adventures, and it was based on like the comics for the the Batman animated series, and so it was written and drawn to look that way. So if this was supposed to look like a '90s miniseries, like Weapon Death would be like the best name for that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I hadn't even thought of the uh, the amalgam name, the name for the amalgamation, but <laughs> Weapon Death is it, dude. That is that is the name. <laughs> like it's so ridiculously over the top, you know, it's, it's perfect. And it just feels so nineties, right? Like just, yes. I mean, mixing Wolverine with Deathstroke, like I said, it's it basically, you can interchange Deadpool and Deathstroke, but you know, a, a basically a Wolverine and Deadpool crossover in the nineties. You can just imagine what it would look like with the Sylvester early nineties art. I think they could just bring it home. I, I almost could see it being published by image if that were allowed. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that would be funny. An, an image book published by image, but an amalgam of, of two characters from two different major yes. universes. That would be funny, but I could see, I mean like Marvel, they kind of license out. Cause I know that like IDW uh, publishes some like Marvel and Star Wars comics that are like yep. family friendly. Like they do like Star Wars adventures or what a galaxy uh-huh. of adventures uh, that are like family friendly. Of course, weapon death is, is certainly not family friendly, <laughs> but no. it, it's not outside the realm of possibilities is, is what I'm trying to say. 
Yeah. And it would be an extreme series, too. I, I'm thinking a four-part series. Um, it, it would just be over-the-top 90s. Like, Deathstroke would have so many pouches and so many large guns. His swords would have extra blades on them. It would be just over-the-top 90s action. <laughs> It would almost be like in X-Men Origins Wolverine where Deadpool has the, the blade that comes out of his arm and it's a whole friggin' sword yes. length, you yes. know? It'd be like that. It, he would pop his claws and it would be three full-length swords coming out of each hand. That would be one hand. The other hand, it would just be like the barrel of a of like an Uzi, you know? I didn't even think about that. Like, literally, that version of Deadpool is like an amalgam, right? <laughs> Yeah, there it, you it go. Is. There's it's weapon death the, right there. Yeah, it's like mixing all the Weapon X projects, right? It's got <laughs> kind of like Wolverine. It's got a retractable swords, um, healing factor. Like, yeah, that's basically the same thing. So another Deadpool rips off my idea again. This is this is ridiculous. So Deadpool <laughs> is Deathstroke uh, reimagined, and his his Wolverine Origins version is like. Weapon death reimagined. <laughs> nice. I, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I, when I was looking at mine to figure out who I would amalgamate Wolverine with, uh, I originally thought Deathstroke as well. Um, See, too obvious. I know it. No, it's not too obvious. It's just <laughs> like of all the different characters, like, you know, he's got that mercenary background. He's got like the, the clandestine yep. Uh, government agency type thing and the healing factor. And like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like you could tie their origins together in like a new and interesting way. And so I didn't want to go that route because unlike last time, we didn't talk about our ideas ahead of time. So I had to anticipate. I'm like, all right, this is what I'm thinking. And great minds think alike, which means Brett is probably also thinking something along this vein. So I'm going to I'm going to do the cop out and I'm going to pick the really the really easy one. Like you say, Deathstroke is easy. Mine is easier. And I would amalgamate Wolverine. With Nightwing. Okay. <laughs> so You're just so one in, step over from Batman. I love it. <laughs> so in this case, we actually have Batman. Only he is following a lead up to Canada and when he's in the Canadian wilderness, he comes across this like feral teenager who has a healing factor and claws and he adopts him and he brings him into the family and eventually he becomes the first Robin and goes on to be the first Nightwing. So there you go. Not nice. not spectacular, not fancy at all. It, it <laughs> like it's like, all right, I can't do Batman. Like this is my own rule. Like I can't do a Batman anymore. So I'll just do it with the next best thing. <laughs> I'll yeah. just merge them with with Nightwing instead uh, and take the easy road. But uh, if I had to pick a, a creative team, I would want this to be like just a super crazy, like almost. Feral, you know, if you think back to feral Wolverine, you know, like no, noseless Wolverine, the most savage we've seen him. That is how I was envisioning this character being found by Bruce Wayne. You know, even though he's only like 17 instead of 50 or whatever, you know, give or take, um, I still want that really feral looking thing. And so I would have to go with with Adam Cooper, you know, like my favorite yeah. Wolverine artist of all time. No one draws Savage Wolverine. No one draws Feral Wolverine quite like Adam Kubert. So I would go with with Adam Kubert on pencils, 
bring in, um, I, I think nowadays he does all of his penciling and his inking. Um, and I'd probably just go with Richard Isenov on, on colors just because it would, it would feel like a cross between like origin, uh, but also your typical Adam Kubert stuff, you know, feral Wolverine only with that kind of color style that you would see in the origin comics. And, uh, I'd probably go with someone like Joe Quesada to write. I know that he's more, more often he is like a penciler and he like penciled some, some daredevil stuff. Um, but I just feel like he, he did a really great daredevil story. I know that he would have a, a good Wolverine story to tell. And I think that he can handle a character like Nightwing as well. So kind of outside the box, but I'd go with like Joe Quesada to write with with Adam Kubert and Richard Isenove on the artwork. Awesome. I, and I like the – I actually like, even though you think it is kind of obvious, right, just switching from Batman to Nightwing, I like your idea of how he becomes this character better than my idea. I like that Batman discovers him much like he discovered Robin, but instead of, you know, this uh, orphaned kid, he, he finds this – bestial man out in the wilderness uh and that he's the one rather than the hudsons to like bring him back to humanity i love that i love picturing that story playing out (laughs) and and the idea that um you would have the colorist from origin makes a lot of sense too because you're like telling wolverine's origin in a different way and this is like young i don't know what this version's name is right is it is it still James or is it uh, an amalgam name? Uh, <laughs> but I think that would be an awesome way to to tie in like the origins is using that that style. That 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 would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. That that was the 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 kind of the way that I went. I'm like, all right, like Wolverine's got the the backstory of the the government stuff. He's got the backstory of uh, you know being a weapon and stuff. And I was looking at some other ideas, and I and and Deathstroke was the best choice, right? Like there wasn't any other any other hero in DC where I could I could tie that specific part of Wolverine in a in a, a way that made sense quite like with Deathstroke. Uh, and so I started thinking about some of the other Wolverine stuff that I that I personally find interesting. Like I know that Origin and Origin Two are kind of divisive among uh, us Wolverine fans, but I yeah. really liked both of those uh, because I feel like it it started early enough in his history and ended early enough in his history that all of that bad stuff that happens to him it still has room to happen. It yeah. still has room to leave mystery. So it wasn't necessarily like, you know, it's like, oh man, the, all the mystery is gone. Well, no, because now we have point A and we have like point F, you know, but like we don't have B through E yet. Like yeah, they, they yeah. left enough of that mystery open that there's still a whole lot to do. And uh I, I was looking at that. I'm like, okay, well, he's like, he, he's, he's an orphan. Cause like his parents are dead and he's out in the wilderness alone and so I was like, all right, well, that that kind of actually makes pretty good sense with with all the different Robin scenarios. Yeah. Um, and so I just I went with Nightwing because he's he's the he, of all the of all the Robins. I think Tim is my favorite, but Tim is the one that, like, makes the least amount of sense to merge with with Wolverine. So I didn't want to go with Jason because I don't really like Jason. So I went with Dick instead. 
Yeah, I think it makes sense. Like, it, it's him discovering him. He's the first one, first person he takes under his wing. Like, I think it makes a lot more sense uh, to use Dick Grayson. And like you said, I, I never really thought about it like that before with uh, with Wolverine's origin, that with the origin stories, they did just tell basically his early life origin. He's such an old person that there's so much more that could happen in between what we know and where we're at now. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, maybe I can see that in a little bit different light now and appreciate it a little more because I, I've always been on the other side of that where I'm like, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know anything about Wolverine's past. Um, Weapon X was enough for me. That's all I wanted, you know, like quite enough. Um, but yeah, just re- realizing that, yeah, there would still be a lot of mystery involved in between. And I, I just hope that they never divulge it all. Well, uh, don't read Wolverine origins then. <laughs> huh, okay. <laughs> I, I thought, no, but I thought you said that there's a, a big enough gap between origins. No. Okay, so so Wolverine Origins was is the fifty issue ongoing oh, series. Oh, yeah. okay. I, I I talked about it on the last um, yeah at the time of this recording the the most recent Omega Red episode we covered uh, a couple issues from the Wolverine Origins series, but that's the one where like he wakes up and he has all of his memories back, so he has to yeah. go and like rectify all the stuff from his past, and and yeah they still leave there's still like gaps and there's still jumps in time but it pretty much gives us the gist of what happens to him pretty much from like 1910 all the way up through when he joins the X-Men. And okay. if you look at where origin two ended, that was like the very early 1900s. So th- that leaves like a decade. There's like a decade of time where we don't yeah. really know what was going on. Uh, the good thing about Wolverine origins though, is that they only focus like on the one specific thing and they kind of build into the fact that, like, the dude that was in charge of the whole thing, yeah. he's been messing with Wolverine his whole life. And so, like, the stuff that we're seeing that Wolverine remembers, he's only remembering, even though he says, like, I remember everything, he really doesn't. He just remembers, like, major parts. There's still a lot of of holes in in the story that he uncovers. So there's that at least. But, but yeah, like, if you if you want that mystery don't read Wolverine origins because it, it will fill in a lot of stuff. Gotcha. I, yeah, I'll <laughs> avoid that. Cause I, yeah, I, I was thinking just origin and origin too, but yeah, th- that whole series after that, I didn't realize how much it filled in. That's crazy. Yeah. Dude, like it kind of jumps around. So it, like it takes you through the 1910s and then a little bit in like the 1930s and there's a bunch of 1940, like world war two stuff. Um, and then, of course, like technically, it was the 1950s that he joined Team X, but he like he was part of Team X while he was also working for Department H. And then, like after the Team X stuff, he leaves, and then that's when Weapon X picks him up, and then he gets feral, and then he, he's picked up by the Hudsons, and then he he joins Department H, and then he joins the X Men. So, you know, like you have a pretty good idea of what he's been up to in each of the decades. Yeah leading up to when he joins the X-Men. Yeah, I think I think I will avoid that. Because I, I just always love That's my favorite thing about the character is the mystery behind it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, d- another thing I'm thinking by merging Wolverine with Dick, he can keep his uh, his redhead thing going because Dick loved Barbara for a long time and and she was a redhead. And then he also Dick loved uh, like a fiery alien, kind of like the Phoenix in, okay. in loving Starfire. So yeah. there's some, there's some more there's some stuff right there. Plus, you know, as as uh, as Dick grew into the Nightwing role, as he outgrew Robin and grew into the Nightwing role. And he started to mentor the other Robins. So, you know, you just make the other Robins like a Kitty, like Kitty yeah. and Tim and Jason and Jubilee. You just kind of amalgamate them together. And then you, you got Wolverine as as Nightwing uh, mentoring them as well. So there, so there you go. It fits even better. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, it's just, you just talked yourself into it being a great choice. <laughs> yes, I did. I was like, oh, you're man. Like, oh, it's kind of obvious. You know, I just, you know, whatever. It's a, you're like, actually, I'm a genius. <laughs> this works really well. Yeah, I who, dig it, man. Knew? <laughs> nice. Well, I like these. These, these are these are good ideas, and they're fun. It, it, it's one of those things where it's like, it's too bad that, like, the ideas that you and I have, we're never actually going to see them as comic books. But, you know, it's it's yeah. fun to come up with them. <laughs> Yeah, we got man. We can always write some fan fiction. Why but, not? I mean, uh, <laughs> what, what's his name from uh, Uncanny X Cast was writing fan fiction all the time, wasn't he? Yep. <laughs> yep. His uh, his New Mutants fan fiction that has mysteriously disappeared from the internet. Oh man, I want I want so badly to find Brian Perillo's <laughs> fan fiction. Oh man, it's a lifelong dream. Yeah, it's definitely it's got to be a grail, you know, for for Uncanny X cast <laughs> yeah. fans because it's like it comes up every now and then, and it's it's far enough in between references on the show that you completely forget, and then it just randomly comes up, and it's like, oh man, I just like I I I, I want to read that so badly. Yeah, I, I mentioned it to him once. I uh, brought it up, <laughs> and uh, I was like, "Is there any hard copy anywhere? Do you still have that anywhere?" It's like, "Yeah, I probably got it somewhere." He's like. To be honest, people are spending their time on that, trying to figure out where my fan fiction is. <laughs> He's like, I kind of feel sorry for him. I really do. That's awesome. You, we have to figure out where you live. Hopefully someone will dox him, and then we can uh, just, like, watch. And every time they have a garage sale, just <laughs> yeah, yes. pick through it and be like, oh, man, maybe the maybe the, the handwritten story is in here somewhere. Yes. <laughs> No, I I don't condone doxing though. I should probably throw that out there. No. no. <laughs> All right. So, so Brett, what have you been up to, man? Like, have you been reading any X Men stuff lately, or or collecting any X Men stuff? I'm just curious. Um, no. I, I recently I've been getting into this series that I randomly found at an Ollie's. Uh, it's called The Black Hood. And I've been reading through a couple volumes of that and really enjoying it. Um, X-Men wise, the only thing I can think is that while watching this episode uh, the first time, I watched it, uh, my son was in the car, or no, my daughter was in the car, and um, we just got to really talking about, and she's eight years old. She's like, like she's not hardcore X-Men, but like, mm-hmm. you know, if, if she sees one of the X-Men, she starts humming the cartoon theme so <laughs> nice she, there's enough of a connection there that i think when the x-men hit the mcu i'm gonna be able to drag her along with me to every x-men film um 
But she, so we're watching the the animated series, and I said, so who's your favorite character? And she's like, um, I don't know. Because she's not super familiar with all the names. And stuff. She knows Wolverine, for sure. sure. Uh, yeah. But otherwise, it's like, just nothing leaps out to her. And um, I was like, I thought you'd probably like Storm. She's pretty cool, because, you know, she controls the weather. She's like, oh, yeah. And then I, uh, I said, oh, maybe you like Rogue. She's, like, really strong. She's like, which one's Rogue? And I said, well, she's the one with the, with the, with the red hair, with the like white streak of hair, and and she's like, she's still not getting it. And I'm like, oh, I said she's the one that talks like Applejack from My Little Pony. <laughs> and she goes, oh yeah, that's my favorite. Nice. She's my favorite. I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right. So she's a rogue fan. I'm finding out. So, um, nice. the the only thing I've done is is slowly start to develop my daughter's fandom for the X Men. Well, that works, man. Like that's that's doing something for the fandom. I think, uh, you know, yeah. sharing your love with with the with the next generation. That's that's really all you can do, man. Like that that's the best thing that you can do. I know that uh, I usually watch the episode once or twice, uh, and then I take my notes. You know, um, but usually I'll I'll take my notes like the the day of recording so that everything's fresh and and all that. And I usually wait till like I'm done with work and I'll, and I'll go downstairs and throw it up on the big TV instead of watching on my iPad or whatever. And, uh, I was down there today watching the episode and my, my younger son, my eight year old, he's running around and, and all that. Um, he was just watching like some Sonic two scenes that he really enjoys and stuff. So uh-huh. I came down, watched a few of those with him and then I, and then I threw on X-Men. And so he was, you know, whenever he watches Sonic for like five, ten minutes after it ends, and he just has to run around pretending he's really fast. Um, yeah. So, so he was Absolutely. doing that. Yeah, well, of course, you know. Uh, so he was doing that, and I and I put the X Men on, and like as soon as the episode started, he was like on the couch, sitting right there, you know, snuggling up, you know, watching X Men with me, eyes glued to the TV. So I, I don't think he realizes it yet, but he's he's a big X Men fan. So yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> isn't that great? It's hard to get it's hard to get kids nowadays into especially like old 2D animation, you know, it yeah. uh, you know, it's just not they look at it and they're like, "Oh, this is old." But man, if you can get your kid like just really unknowingly just like falling into enjoying something, like that's the way to trick them into it, but uh that's just a great feeling though. When a kid shares your fandom at least. I you know, I don't care about having any other influence over my kids like you know, getting them to play a certain sport or uh, take up a certain hobby. But, like, if I can just give them a little bit of my, like, pop culture fandom of the things that I love and enjoy and, like, maybe they can carry that into their future, like, I I feel like I've done my job. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Like, as a, as a father, like, all you can really do is, like, try to put as much of yourself – into your kids as you can. And like, you want to put the good stuff in there, you know, like you don't want to yeah. teach your kids how to fly off the handle with anger or whatever. Like you want to teach your kids right. to, to love to read comic books and like enjoy superhero movies and cartoons and stuff. <laughs> yes. I was going to say that um, you, you brought up Sonic and how your kid watches Sonic. And then mm-hmm. from then on has to imitate Sonic and be really fast. <laughs> I can so relate uh, around the same age, probably actually I was probably around Six or seven. Uh, you remember the 1990 Flash series? Yes, yes, I do. My dad and I would watch that together, and 
after watching it, I always was obsessed with running around <laughs> as the Flash. And I would do everything as the Flash. I would brush my teeth as the Flash. I would comb my hair as the Flash. Like, I remember, <laughs> I could uh, distinctly remember being in the bathroom and just, like, rapid fire brushing my teeth really fast. <laughs> and, and at the same time, I'm doing all this stuff or, like, uh, getting dressed for school. I have to make the <laughs> sounds as I'm doing it. <laughs> Yeah, probably one of my first uh, superhero fandoms, actually, was, was The Flash, just because I was so young. I'm 1990, I'm like six, six years old um, yeah, yeah. when it comes out. And that was one of my first real exposures to a superhero, not even realizing that there was a comic book behind it or anything like that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, you said that, and like, I just got all this uh, nostalgia bubbled up inside me when you said your kid was running around like Sonic. <laughs> Yeah, he he just got some new shoes um, that have the. It's not like a Velcro or anything, but it has like this strap that goes across the the side. And even though the shoes are blue, he's super excited because you know it looks like the Sonic shoes because they have like the strap thing across the you know across the middle of it, right there. So so he's like, these are my Sonic shoes, you know. Uh, and he yeah, doesn't even he, care that they're not red. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you don't want to break his heart. Like, buddy, those aren't red. Those no, it's okay red. because he's, he's like Sonic. Shoot. He's he's not Sonic the Hedgehog. He's Sonic Landy. You know, it's like I'm Landy that can run at Sonic speeds. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, that's fine. <laughs> Did you watch Chippendale Rescue Rangers yet? The no, the the new movie. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I haven't. No, I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I'm really looking okay. forward to it. I freaking loved that cartoon when I was a kid. I'll I'll save it. Uh, I'll save it until you've seen it. But I will tell you there is a Sonic reference in it, which is weird oh. because, you know, it's owned by, you know, it's Disney. Um, <laughs> yeah. But they managed to, in this film, uh, make references to a lot of stuff outside of Disney. Uh, huh. It was a big undertaking, I guess, with lawyers and such, but they were able to get um, permission to to insert some characters that are not Disney owned in it, so it's a lot of fun. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Now I have a, a a way to get my kids to be like, yeah, let's watch it. Yeah, and I hope that your kids will get the Sonic reference that they make. Like, it, it you will one hundred percent absolutely love it. Nice. You will love it. Nice. It's yeah. worth it for the Sonic reference. <laughs> right on. Right on. Yeah, so so my kids, so um, Sonic 2 came out on, you know, iTunes and available to purchase and all that. I think you can get, you know, it's on Blu-ray and stuff now as well earlier yeah. this week. And so we, we got it in iTunes. We'd pre-ordered it when we first went and saw it in the theater, well, in the drive-in and when the kids, you know, lost their minds and, and absolutely loved it. And I, I liked it a lot because I'm a big Knuckles fan. You know, he's like the Wolverine of the of the trio, right? So yeah. so Knuckles is my guy. Um and uh, I'd pre-ordered it and all that, and it, and it dropped earlier this week. And my kids have watched it so many times now that they're to the point where they're going through, like, scene by scene and, like, re-watching scenes looking for Easter eggs and, like, references to the old cartoons, that's references awesome. to any of the old video games. Like, that that's what they're doing with their free time now is, like, they're just – they're going through scene by scene – searching like scouring the movie for every possible easter egg that's awesome i mean that, that's what i do 
That's what I do with you know movies and TV shows. That's so that's so cool. I like um. Did, so what did you think of Sonic Two? Because I I liked it. Like I enjoy both movies, um, but I I think Sonic Two edges out Sonic One for me. I really enjoyed bringing in all of the other characters and and the update to Robotnik. Yeah, yeah, me too. Like, I, I feel like most movies, you know, I mean, I feel like it's a it's a known rule in pop culture, right? That like the sequel is never as good as the first one. For the most uh, part, but, yeah. But and it's true most of the time. Like ninety nine percent of the time, that's true. There's a few movies where the sequel was better. Usually, yeah. the second movie of a trilogy, I feel, is better. But like. A, a two movie series or a series where like they didn't know they were going to make a sequel or, or a third one right. uh, that it's hard. Like when they're like, okay, we should probably tell another story. It's usually not as good, but I feel with Sonic two that it, that it was better. Like it was more enjoyable, even with the weird, like 20 minute middle detour with the wedding stuff. Like yeah. even with that weird, like, human characters for a while because we got to save on the budget for the big final battle or whatever at the end. Uh, I still feel like even with that part included, Sonic 2 was was better. Like, I think Jim Carrey was just as good, if not better, as as Robotnik this time around. Uh, I'm always going to be a fan of James Marsden. Like, he's just a charming dude. And and I like any anytime I see him in anything, I'm like, ah, this guy. I love this guy. (laughs) But yes. like you said, like bringing in tails and, and bringing in knuckles, you know, like it gave Sonic some additional foils that he didn't really have in the first movie. And it let him shine, you know, as like as as the hero of the movie, like which was really cool. And of course, like Idris Elba as Knuckles, like, come on, like what yeah. a fantastic casting, like perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. And as much as much as um, it was kind of weird to have that big human sequence, like smack dab in the middle. I still found it entertaining. Like it was yes. funny. I, I yes. those characters, it was such a ridiculous over the top story, you know, with, with the, with the, the, the guy who was inserted there to fall in love. Like it was so ridiculous, but that guy was hilarious. And so yeah. was the, the bride to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Like, and, and I feel like the human characters, like, they earned it, you know? Like, they actually were yeah. a pretty cool part of the first one. The sister-in-law was, was funny in the first one, and, like, they they were able to, like, ramp it up, and she she was really funny in this one. And it I was, like, it was okay. Yeah. I love that she hit for no reason. There's really no reason for her to hate him, but she hates <laughs> him so much. She wants them to get divorced. Like, yeah. it, it's so, it's bad. Uh, but but I dug it, man. I, I really liked that little side story. Even even in the first movie, like I liked the, the story of him like wanting to be a big city cop and like do some real work. And like um, his wife with the in, in the first one, she she had two cakes made for like in case he got the job or in case he didn't get the job. Um, but and I love her too. Tika Sumter's great. Um, I uh, I really liked her, and she's in a show called Mixed Dish with Mark Paul Gossler and. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I watched it because of Mark Paul Gossler because I'm a massive Saved by the Bell fan. Um, oh man! <laughs> and so, uh, but Tika Sumter, I, I really enjoy her as an actress. So yeah, all around, man, I thought number two stepped it up, and not in the way that a lot of uh, sequels, like you said, they they just step it up in terms of like production budget and um, 
big, huge action scenes and bringing in new characters. Like, I felt like the story was still really good as well, and that's kind of kind of a rarity with sequels. Yeah. And and they put in like so much Sonic fan service, and yet like it didn't feel cheap. Yeah. Like it just it it progressed story wise to the point where like it actually made sense. Like this is a, a superhero movie for elementary age, like elementary school age children, and yet yeah. like I as a thirty seven year old was like, oh my gosh, like this is better than like I like this more than I like most of the superhero stuff I've I've been seeing lately. And like they just they they kept all the heart from the first one and and that was it you know they they just added new stuff when it needed to be added and it like it all just flowed well and made sense and everything like nothing felt shoehorned in or anything I'm I'm watching it like wow this this is this is really good like I'm enjoying this way more than I expected and I loved the first one too I thought the first one was really good uh, and I thought the trailer for this one looked cool but like I I was surprised by by how good I actually thought this movie was. Yeah, it was surprising. I, I, uh, like I took my daughter to see it just cause you know, she, she wanted to see, she loved the first one and we planned to see it. I think we saw it like the opening week that it came out oh, and nice. I went in expecting, yeah, a run of the mill sequel. And I just thought it, like, I really thought it upped the game from the first one. And yeah. man, man, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved the mushroom planet. At the beginning, where Robotnik is stuck. Um, the only thing I think we're missing so far, I don't remember it at least, is I want to see the power plant. I want to see the power plant level um, on the big screen. Yes, that that would be cool. Like that, what an iconic, what an iconic level, man! Sonic Two, yeah. I I love that video game too. Yeah, my favorite. Um, and, and it works out right because I don't know when you got your Sega Genesis, but uh, like the fall of 1992 was a pretty good time. Like I'm a I'm a seven year old kid. Um, I'm I'm in my first half of second grade. There's a girl that lives like three houses up the road named Kim Nguyen. She's my best friend, and she's also my crush. You know, the X Men series starts that year. So does the Batman animated series. And and at the end of the year for Christmas. I get from my friend up at the North Pole, I get a Sega Genesis with Sonic 2, like the perfect cap to like a fantastic year. Right. And so like I just have so much nostalgia for Sonic 2. Like that was the game that I got with my Sega. I played the living crap out of that. Uh, like the first time I ever started using like cheat codes or getting like video game magazines, like tips and tricks. Like, I was getting it to find codes for Sonic 2, which, you know, you're able to find that, like, take you all the way up to the Death Egg where you can fight the Robotnik robot. There's, like, a cheat code that you can put in to become Super Sonic. Like, I had so much fun with Sonic 2 as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely, I I think I have a similar experience. How old did you say you were when you, that, that perfect year that you had? That would have been like 92. So that would have been the year okay. I ter- so I would have turned 7 in like March of that year. Oh man. Okay, so Se- it's I mean Sega Genesis was still pretty new then. That was like the year of Sega Genesis, I think, right? Yeah, cuz like the the I well I think the Master was it the I I can't remember like one of them Sega came out with one called the Master System in yeah, like the mid 80s. Like- Yes, and then yes. in the late '80s they came out with like the Mega Drive. I might have those two backwards, but the Mega Drive was the one that was like pretty much the Genesis. 
but then the actual Genesis came out like right around 91, 92. Uh, I didn't, I, I have a similar experience with like Sonic 2 being the one that stuck out to me. Um, I got my Sega Genesis. I would say I was a little older. I was probably 10, nine or 10. Um, I was in fifth grade and I remember uh, my mom came home from work one day. I feel like I've told this story to you before, but maybe not. So my mom comes home from work and she says, and at this time, I think I had a super Nintendo and my mom comes home and there had never been any talk about getting a Sega Genesis. Right. Hmm. But she goes, there's this lady at work. She goes, Brett, can you tell me if this is a good deal? So there's this lady at work and she's selling a Sega Genesis with 13 games and four controllers and a game genie for 150 bucks. And I said, yeah, mom, that's like the deal of a lifetime. Are you kidding me? (laughs) That is insane. That lady doesn't even know what she's giving away. Um, Please get it. Uh, So she did. And that was like, I think it was, it was like a early birthday gift or something because of how it fell. But um, yeah, I just remember it. She, she asked me if it was a good deal. I'm like, okay, these, these grownups have no idea what they're doing because (laughs) 150, it's like the games themselves are worth like 60 bucks a piece. Come on. So, um, that, my experience getting Sega was not just Sega with one game and slowly building a collection. It came with its own collection. I had like Jeez. two columns games. And, uh, I had Sonic. I had Comic Zone. I had like uh, Altered Beast and uh, X-Men. Uh, X-Men 2. Nice. And it was an insane haul, <laughs> as the kids say these days. Um uh, it was all this stuff at once, and these it was actually it was five controllers, two regular controllers, two mega controllers, and like a super mega <laughs> something <laughs> controller where you could like turn on rapid fire. Oh, um, nice! It was ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, and I remember going to school and telling my friend Justin like this story, you know, that sounded like a tall tale. You know, I I go in and I say. Dude, I got a Sega Genesis with 13 games and five controllers last night. He's like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, I promise you, man. I said, I swear, come over to my house this afternoon. And even to this day, he goes, um, at all. I thought you were completely making it up. And I showed up at your house like, oh, my God. <laughs> he was telling the truth. This is ridiculous. Who would have? Who would get this? Like, and, um, yeah, so that was a really special thing in my life. And Sonic 2, uh, it came with Sonic 1 and 2. And obviously Sonic 2 is, is the upgrade from Sonic 1. So oh, I was yeah. obsessed. Oh, yeah. Obsessed. Yeah. But a great time in my life as well. <laughs> Probably 1994 for me. That's awesome. Yeah, the 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 Christmas of 92, it was like I was deciding between the Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo because I just had the NES at this point. And yeah. 
I thought that Super Mario World was just too hard. Like, I would go over to a friend's house and play it, and, like, I just, I wasn't very good at it. And we went to, I, I want to say it was a Circuit City. Maybe it was a Best. There was a there was a chain out on the West Coast. I don't know how far into the country it made, but it was, like, kind of like a Kmart, like a Walmart, Target, kind of like one of those style stores. Um, but, it like, it it kind of focused more on like gadgets. So like it had apparel and stuff, but it was more like gadgets and electronics and bikes and that sort of stuff. And it was called best. Um, but I don't know if it was like at circuit city or if it was there that I had played it, but they had, you know, in the, the, the good old days where they would have like the video game system. You know, if you went to the, like the electronics section, they'd have like a TV with the video game system hooked up and you can play it for a little while. Um, yeah, you try it out. Yeah. Yeah, I think like Target and Walmart still does that to a degree, but not quite as much because, you know, all the controls nowadays have like the motion controls and, and whatever. And you can like you can, act, you know, the game systems are basically a computer now. So if you're smart enough, you can access all kinds of stuff that they don't really want you accessing. You know, back then it was just you press a button and you can make Sonic jump and that was it. Um, yeah, yeah. So I so I played Sonic 2. I, we went to the store. We were there for like 45 minutes because my parents were buying something. I don't know, some appliance of some sort. So we were there for quite a quite a long time. And I that was the first time I'd ever played a Sonic game. I think it was the first time I'd ever played a Sega. And uh, I, I sat there for like 45 minutes. I, I I probably took turns. I'd like to think that if the other if other kids came up, I took turns. But maybe I didn't. Who who knows? Um. Yeah. <laughs> but I but I played Sonic 2 there for like 45 minutes and was like, wow, this game is so much more fun than than Super Mario World. Like I I can actually beat levels and it's exciting. Yes. Uh, and so when when Christmas came along, you know, I, I made sure to guilt trip my parents and stuff, and they'd be like, well, what do you want for Christmas, Ryan? And I'd be like, well, you know, I'm happy with just some like some action figures or whatever. That would be okay, you know. And then be like, no, seriously, you should add. You know, you you're writing your list to Santa. Like you got to put something big on the list. I'm like, well, if I had to pick something big, I guess the Sega Genesis. But like, I know that those are really expensive and they're really hard to find. So like, I don't want to put it on my list and 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 put anybody. You know, just give them the whole guilt trip and all that. Yeah. And so naturally, Santa Claus brought me the Sega Genesis that year for Christmas. So it was a great time. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. I love how we both have very vivid memories of our, our first experiences with the Sega Genesis <laughs> and when we received it and how it was such a huge event in our lives. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It was big, man. It was a, it was a big time. All right. Well, uh, I mean, we can keep talking about Sonic and the Sega Genesis, but, uh, I, I know that we've been going for quite a while. And, and before the episode itself even started, we, we were talking for a long time there too. Uh, so what say we, we, uh, we close the book and we jump into our episode breakdown. Yeah. Let's do it. I think, I think the, the, the listeners are probably like, okay. All <laughs> right. I came here for an X Men breakdown. What are we doing? <laughs> Hey, well, you know, we got to do the Sonic cast. It's uh Yeah, we're we're we reliving we our uh reliving our childhood right here. <laughs> you know yeah. that like at least half the people that are listening to this podcast right now are like, "Oh man, I remember when I got my Sega." Yeah. And and they're like, "No, no, no, no. keep talking about 
keep talking about Sonic. No, it's okay. Because <laughs> they're all 37-year-old white males, yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. That, that is my demographic. Next year, it'll be 38-year-old white males. That's just, it's, <laughs> yes. it's weird how that yeah. works out. <laughs> yes. Today's episode is X-Men, the animated series, season three, episode two, out of the past, part two. This episode was written by Len Wein, and it aired on August 5th, 1994. So, Brett, we were kind of talking last week about these two episodes in particular and how they had that kind of odd summer debut and I yeah. can't remember if I said it last week or not, but I don't remember seeing either of these episodes as they were airing over the summer. What about you, man? Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> that My experience with X-Men was very much like uh, I didn't jump into it until it had already been on for a little while. And so and I think um, they were even doing reruns as well, like during the afternoons on uh, weekdays. And so my viewing was like all over the place. So I'd get like a, you know, I'd get some in a row, right? Like I'd get the, the, the normal ones in a row, whatever the new episodes were, but then there was these reruns as well that would just be, it would, it would be random. It would be random. Like it wasn't in order. And so I don't know. I have no idea when I saw this for the first time. Um, but I definitely wouldn't have been looking for a new episode of X-Men mid-summer right. or late yeah. summer. Yeah, yeah, no, n neither would I. And, and I usually did stuff in the summer. You know, we, we would play baseball or, or whatever. I'd, I'd be in some yeah. sort of like a little league or, or that sort of thing. Um, my grandma would put me in like not summer school. Like, I, I mean, I guess it was summer school, but like so – my parents worked, but my grandma lived with us. And so she was like my primary caregiver during, during the weekdays and, and stuff like yeah. that. And so during the summertime, like to keep me busy, she would put me in like all these different programs at the school. Cause the school was only like a block away from our house and walking distance. And so like most of my summers as a kid, um, at least when, when we were still out in California. So like up through right about this time, cause uh, the, we moved to Colorado literally the day before the Phoenix saga premiered. Um, so like I probably was in some sort of like a summer reading program or a summer math program, something like that at the school. So I, I probably, even if I was aware, like I, I, I may have missed these. Now I, I, I assumed that these still came out on Saturday mornings, but I haven't looked at like the specific days July 29th and, and uh, August 5th. Like I haven't looked at those days to see if those were Saturdays in 1994 or whatever, but right. if they were weekdays, like I was probably busy. So I wouldn't have had any idea that these episodes were coming out. The, my earliest memory of seeing these two out of the past episodes. And I don't know if you remember this, but like in the early two thousands, probably two well, 2004, 2005 era, somewhere around there, they released a couple DVDs of X-Men animated series episodes and Spider-Man, the animated series episodes. And one of the DVDs was called the legend of Wolverine. 
And it had like four episodes or five episodes that were all Wolverine centric episodes. And it had both of these episodes on there. And I think that was the first time I really ever saw both of these, or at least the first time that I can remember seeing them. Well, that's really cool. I, I wish I knew that that existed because I would have loved to have that. Oh man. Yeah. They did like a, they did for the Spider-Man, they did two of them. They did like a green goblin one that had five or so episodes that, that were like green goblin episodes. And yeah. they did like a venom one that had a bunch of like, it had the, the black costume and the venom episodes and I yeah. think they did like a Doc Ock one that had a bunch of like the Sinister Six stuff. But then for X-Men, they did the Legend of Wolverine. It was like five Wolverine episodes. It had like the, the Silver Samurai episode from really late. It had like Cold Vengeance, I think, the one with Sabretooth that you and I covered for season one. Like it had a bunch of that stuff. I think it had the um, Jubilee's Fairy Tale Theater as well, where uh, she's telling the, the fairy tale story and Wolverine's like the bumbling beast creature thing. I'm not going to lie to you. The Jubilee's Fairy Tale Theater is my absolute least favorite episode. <laughs> I don't like it when the comics do it either. I know there was a few issues of X-Men <laughs> comics that did that, like went into this like random fairy tale world where uh, someone, I don't know if it was Jubilee or Kitty Pride, but was telling a story, just basically what they did on the show. And yeah, I just never liked that. I'm like, can we tell the real stories? please? <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to have to bring you on for that episode then, just for the ah. f- for the joy of, of forcing you to watch that episode. <laughs> It'll probably be uh, – hilarity will probably ensue. Uh, it's likely that um, I'll just be picking out all the ridiculous parts of the episode. So, <laughs> sure, I'm down for it, man. Bring me on. Or, you know, the, the shoe was on the other foot. You watch it and you're like, you know what? I actually like this episode. This is my favorite episode of X-Men the Animated Series. I just never gave it a chance. <laughs> I've seen it through 38-year-old white male eyes now. So I, yes. now I totally appreciate this. Yeah, I like Beastly Wolverine. It reminds me of Feral Wolverine. <laughs> uh, all right, so... So usually, uh, Brett, you know the drill. I usually have my guest kind of walk us through the opening sequence. Yeah. But I know that you are uh, you're multitasking right now. So not I only am. are you guest hosting, but you're doing something else. So yes. Um, if you'd like, I can just take us through scene by scene and let you provide some color commentary for it. That would be fantastic. You make me sound terrible. <laughs> I, I said, you sound like I'm over here, like uh, I'm gaming or something at the same time. Like I'm just like, this isn't quite important enough for me to be engaged all the way with. And so I have to do something else. Well, um, but no, no, I am at work uh, 100%. So uh, I, I appreciate you uh, taking us through the episode. I definitely watched the episode a few times, so I'm ready to talk about it. Nice. All right, so our opening sequence for this episode, it picks up right where the last uh, scene left off with the uh, the last episode. So the last episode, Wolverine had accidentally, like, cut the ship open when he was trying to uh, pull Lady Deathstrike out of this weird, uh, like, perimeter thing that it had. It had this strange force field that she was kind of stuck in. And to get her away, he had to, like, slice up the ship and it caused this like weird rift and uh, this whole gigantic hole opened in the side of this alien spacecraft 
and it left the entire like cavern in this green glow. And so this episode starts where the green glow has begun to intensify, right? Like it's almost blinding how bright this glow is and a beat like this big giant, like energy based beast thing comes climbing out of this hole in the ship and it starts, I don't know. It's just kind of like looking at all of them, like leering in this really uh, aggressive way. And so naturally the Reavers who are there with Lady Deathstrike, they just like open up with a volley of fire and, and yes. they're blasting away at this thing. And instinctively this, this weird one-eyed energy creature thing shoots out these like tongue tendril type deals, right? And then he grabs all of the Reavers and like immediately incapacitates the Reavers. They all fall to the ground, like just completely unconscious with the green glow in their own eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know what? I still, I, I watched this episode several times and I still don't know exactly what is going on with this thing. Like it, it's, <laughs> it's like sucking their souls into it. It's leaving their body like, incapacitated but like possessed with a piece of itself it's very strange like i i feel like as a kid it would have been really hard to understand what the heck was going on this is like they're like they're like stuck inside of this being or at least their their energy i don't know their soul is their energy their uh what have you but but i don't know it was very confusing what this thing is actually doing at least at first i mean they explain later, like, what kind of entity it is, but even so, I just thought it was it's just an odd visual. Yes, yeah, it, it was very weird, especially, like, if you didn't catch, because, you know, like, we were talking about, like, we weren't, we were X-Men fans, we weren't even aware as kids that these episodes were coming out. So imagine right. being the kid that, like, that knew the episodes were coming out, he missed last week's episode, but he dives in with this one, and it starts off with this giant green hole and this green, this, this beast just like wraps his weird tongue around these people and yeah. like knocks them down. But now their eyes are glowing green. Like you would have absolutely no idea what was going on. Like this is definitely a, a part two where like you absolutely need to see a part one. Yeah. Like even yeah. the previously on X-Men doesn't really do it justice because it's. It's such a like it's such a strange thing, and it's not like it's anything that we've seen in X Men before either. Like we've never seen a weird giant alien monster thing that's like sucking people's somethings out of their bodies. Yeah, I, I think honestly, I think it it, it is a really great storyline to lead into Phoenix because I know the Phoenix saga comes up next. Like, I think it's a good way to slowly introduce like these that there's other stuff out there right that you have to worry about and it's like professor x's first encounter with with something powerful from from out there in the universe i, I thought it was a really good way to build that up yeah i i agree as well like i don't think that we've really had any kind of alien stuff yet we've had uh right you know, we've had humans that hate mutants. We've had mutants. We've had immortal mutants like Apocalypse, and we've had time travel, but we haven't really had any alien stuff yet. And and yeah, like using this creature and these two episodes 
to to introduce the idea of aliens in space to the X-Men like it's it's enough of a buffer where by the time the Phoenix Saga starts which is just the very next episode that it's like okay yeah I'm I'm bought in like there's space stuff happening like that yeah you know there there's aliens and stuff okay cool like I'm I'm all in now I get it it's believable um th- this particular episode more so than like part 1 even this particular episode reminds me a lot of the um I forget the character's name. There is, I think it's Kirok the Demon from the, not the, not the Kitty Pride Night of the Demon story, but like right after Chris Claremont started writing the X-Men, the first two issues that he wrote, he co-wrote with Len Wein, who was the writer of Giant Size X-Men. And in between writing Giant Size X-Men and relaunching the X-Men ongoing series, he was promoted up to like editor in chief of Marvel comics. And so he wasn't able to write comics anymore. And so he had a meeting and uh, Chris Claremont volunteered to write X-Men because they didn't expect that it was going to sell very well. And like no one wanted the job. And Chris Claremont's like, Hey, I I love the X-Men. Like I used to read the old comics, like I'll do it. And uh, Len Wein was like, perfect. That works for me. And so they, the two of them like co-wrote, the first two issues when it was relaunched. So the, like the Count Nefarious stuff in NORAD, those two issues were, were co-written by Chris Claremont and Len Wein. The very next issue, which I, I want to say would have been number 96, but it might be 97. I always forget if it's 94 or 95 where it restarted. Right. Uh, it's, it's one that Chris Claremont, he wrote it, but he didn't write it on his own. He, he still had a co-writer and it was Bill Mantlo. And it was like it was called Night of the Demon, I think, or something like that. And it had to do with like Cyclops is really angry at himself because of what happened with Thunderbird. And so he's out on the Xavier grounds and he's angrily like letting loose with an optic blast. And he randomly breaks this like obelisk thing that's on the grounds of the Xavier Institute. And it unleashes this weird demon creature that they call like the soul sucker or something along those lines. He's like Kirok, the soul crusher, or it's something odd, but he like rampages through the X mansion trying to take the souls of the X-Men. And it happens to be right before the like Phoenix saga is considered to start. So it's wow. kind of cool that they, they took some sort of aspect of that and managed to put it into the lead up episodes prior to the Phoenix saga for the cartoon. Yeah, that's ridiculously similar. I love that. <laughs> yeah, they're like, hey, what, what should we do? Well, there was this thing that was sucking souls. Okay, well, we need it to be from space. That works. Yeah. Like, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, I like, um. so I don't think we ever get an explanation either of, like, how the heck this thing got underground. Like, I, my my initial thought is that it had been there for, like, millennia, you know, like, yeah. before things had been built. But then again, a sewer was built around it. So <laughs> someone had to have noticed it when they were building the sewer system. I don't know. I, I'm just confused of how this giant spaceship ended up underground. <laughs> right. Yeah, and like you said, like, in the middle of, like, a sewer, you know? So, yeah, So yeah, like, the, the plumbing people or the water people or whoever for, like, the city of New York, they're, like, building their, their tunnels, and they're like, uh-oh, 
alien spacecraft. Eh, well, you know eh. the drill, Bob. Like, we just got to build around it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> build around it, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's a good question. I, I think we have maybe a glimpse of an answer a little bit later on in the episode, but when we get to that scene, we, we can kind of talk about it. But, yeah, I think your question stands like, how did the heck did this thing get here? <laughs> yeah. But but back to our episode. So after the Reavers are incapacitated, Lady Deathstrike's like, all right, like, it's time for me to, to earn my namesake here. Like, I'm about to strike some death on this weird creature thing. I'm going to attack it. And Wolverine's like, what do you like? No, like, let's run away instead. Yes. And uh, she's like, okay, fine. Like, so, so the, the four of them, you know, Wolverine, Lady Deathstrike, Gambit, and Jubilee, they all start to run away. And uh, Gambit's like, okay, like, I'll throw some some charged up cards at it, like, distract it a little bit while we make our getaway. Uh, but it all it does is it makes the creature, like, more angry. So the, the creature releases his tongue tendril things again, this time going for Gambit. But Jubilee jumps in the way, and she gets incapacitated instead. Yeah. It just kind of reminded me, too, of, um, oh, man, uh, what's the names eluding me right now? This is, this is driving me crazy. Um, so the character that was in the Storm-centric episode that can, like, possess people's bodies. Uh, ah, the, the Shadow King. Shadow King, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, Gave me Shadow King vibes as well. Just yes. because it was like this entity, and, and I thought it was going to take over their bodies, but really it doesn't. It just kind of incapacitates them. Um, but having Jubilee then being like, I don't know, is that the first time they reveal that these people who have been touched by these tendrils are like sucked into this being, like stuck in there, prisoner? Um, I don't think so. Like, I think we get that a little bit later, like right when okay. the the rest of the X-Men are about to arrive, I think is when we finally start seeing kind of like we start getting some answers. Like at this point, we don't yeah, know yeah. what happened. We just know that he wrapped up Jubilee in one of his like tongue things and, and she like just falls to the ground, passed out with like glowing yeah. green eyes. Right. So, so Gambit picks her up and um, at this point we actually like cut away because Xavier has been trying to monitor the situation with Cerebro since yeah. like ever since last episode. And, you know, it's one of those where he has to pull Cerebro the helmet off and everything. And he's like shrieking in pain and all that uh, because he, he, he senses what happens to Jubilee. But then the, the scene changes again because Xavier sensing this beast and sensing what happens to Jubilee starts like summoning the X-Men who are nearby. Yes. So we actually get like a little sequence of Beast at a museum uh, before he gets the call from Xavier. Yes, I think this is my favorite. This is my favorite scene in the entire episode. Is <laughs> that the extremely uncomfortable woman that Beast is just will not leave alone? He's like trying to make conversation with a stranger, um, as if they were there together or something. Because yeah. at first I'm like, oh, is Beast there with her? Like, no, she, he's not. She's trying very hard to get away from him and avoid him. And he just keeps laying it on thick, like talking about the art, talking about J uh, Jackson Pollock. And, uh, <laughs> it's so ridiculous how uncomfortable this woman is. And the Beast just doesn't get the social cues at all. 
No, no, he really doesn't. Uh, yeah, I love that part. And then, but luckily, you know, Xavier to the rescue. He summons the beast. He's like, "Beast, you're needed yeah. elsewhere. Like, get your blue hairy us out of there, and like, head down to the sewers where you're wanted, where you where you belong, you beast." Beast uh-huh. leaves. Beast leaves through a giant, <laughs> for some reason, completely opened up skylight. It's in the middle of this museum. It, 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 there's no reason to have that. I mean, it's like a, it's like a 20 foot by 30 foot hole in the ceiling. And he just, well, see you later. And like acrobats out of there. Yeah. And he leaves his shoes too. Like as, as he jumps onto this like <laughs> giant sculpture, you know, this original piece of art that is yep. just below this open window for the elements to destroy, like the direct yep. sunlight, <laughs> you know, but he, he he jumps up onto this piece of art and jumps out this window and like his shoes go flying off, you know. So he just yep. leaves his shoes behind. Who needs them? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, I just thought, like, what a what an exit! What an exit to make out through yeah. the ceiling. It was so unnecessary. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, awesome. he, he could have just like turned around and ran towards the door, and like yeah. children would understand, like he's gonna go out the door. Like you don't have to show yeah. him leave. But they they took the time to animate this sequence. It's so great. <laughs> yeah, it was very uh, it was very um, trapeze. Um, I just I just recently watched Batman Forever. Um, oh. <laughs> I, I and I. I you know, it's funny. My wife, she goes, yeah, let's watch all the Batman movies. And I said, well, when we get to Batman Forever, it gets a little a little ridiculous. She's like, oh, no, no, I, I like it. I, I think I like it. And I said, I think you're misremembering. <laughs> uh, she's like, oh, no, it's campy. I get it. It's funny. And then it's like we watched for 10 minutes. She was like, this is the worst. She's like, this is so terrible. Um, but one of the best scenes in the movie is uh, the Flying Graysons, I think. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It just, it just made me think of that. Like beast flying out of there reminded <laughs> me of the trapeze act. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. I can see why you guys would have to turn that off in like 10 minutes because when the security yeah. guard is in the, the like bank vault and the, yep. the acid is in there and he's like, it's boiling acid. <laughs> like, yeah, yes. nope. Like we got to turn this thing off like this. Yes. This is the best it's going to get. Like it's only it's downhill rough. from here. <laughs> it's really rough. <laughs> oh man. Or when he's like, Oh my God, when Robin's doing, we're about to go down a rabbit hole. So we'll just do this one quick scene and then get back to the, to the cartoon. But the the scene where uh, Dick's like doing his laundry. Oh no! Remember that? Yes. <laughs> he's got like the mop and he's like d- doing yeah. all this. Oh my gosh! Like, this... <laughs> who wrote what this? What is man? that? Like, yeah. Someone wrote that and thought this is going to be awesome. Yeah. What like what was that scene? What was he? <laughs> what was he showing? That his skills were. He's. I, I, there's no fighting mop? skills. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I thought that was my wife. Like, that was like the last straw for her. She was like, this is this is so dumb. <laughs> I tried to warn you. I don't know anyway. what, what would what's worse, like that scene or the scene in Ben Affleck's Daredevil when they have the like fight in the playground. Like, I don't yep. know. <laughs> Great scene. Great, <laughs> terrible scene that was. <laughs> 
Yeah, but uh, but back to the X-Men cartoon. We we check back in with the alien again after the beast jumps out through the the sky hole. Uh, the alien is like walking down the sewer tunnel. He comes across the Morlocks that the Reavers had like webbed somehow yep. to the the sewer entrance or the sewer walls. So naturally, he sucks out all of their souls as well. Uh, Deathstrike, like the X Men and, and Deathstrike, you know the X Trio and Deathstrike are they're not that much farther ahead. Like so, they see all this happening, and Wolverine's yep. like. You know, is this what you wanted for these people and all that? And Deathstrike's like, man, what? You know, whatever. Like, I do what I have to do, and frankly, like they're trying to steal from me, so I don't really care. Like, I'm super unapologetic. Oh yeah. well. Um, and all she wants to do at this point is like, she's decided like Wolverine's right. She shouldn't fight it. She should run away. Uh, and so that's all that she wants to do. She's like, let's just let's run away. And now, and now Wolverine's like, no, no, no. Now we have yeah, to stand yeah. and fight. Like <laughs> earlier by this fight. earlier by the spaceship. We were supposed to run away, but now that he's like sucking Morlocks, like we gotta fight this guy. Um, so he like pops his claws and he goes to fight, and, and everyone's mad. But then the scene changes again, so we don't, we yep. don't get the action quite yet. Yes, then we get another scene where Xavier is now contacting Cyclops and Jean out on a date, and it, that is correct, right? That is the scene you're talking about. Yes. Okay, so. I, I love that they're having this like private little moment and uh, Cyclops is like, you know, I, I, there was a time there when I just never thought we'd ever get a moment alone like this. And then Professor X is like, I don't know, ethereal form appears next to the table, like not just his head or something to, to show that he's uh, contacting them through their mind, but like his entire body appears <laughs> right beside the table, like a concierge. And, uh, <laughs> just very, I just started thinking like, and they look over at it like he's actually there, and so yeah, I just imagine that it just startles the heck out of them. It probably oh, did when they were younger, oh. you know, but now they're probably used to it. They're like, oh, there's a yeah. here again. <laughs> uh, Chuck, <laughs> oh, right. always popping in. Cyclops, you know, he's probably like, at least we're we're still at dinner, you know, when he's when he's popping in unwanted. Yes. <laughs> not later yeah, you imagine on. That, yeah, you imagine that this happens at much worse, much worse opportune times to be popping in. But yeah, so Cyclops then goes over to the the, the concierge or the waiter, like, better pack up the doggy bags again. <laughs> All right, so so I want to point out one thing in this scene that I that I discovered by reading the previously on X Men book by Eric Leewald, and. Yeah. The the waiter that Cyclops talks to in that particular scene, he calls him Sydney. He's like, Sydney, you're gonna have to, you know, doggy bag it up again. Uh-huh. That guy is Sydney Iwanter, who was the Fox executive who oversaw the production of this series. So right. if Eric Leewald was the showrunner, his boss was Sydney Iwanter, and so that was his boss. <laughs> That's awesome. I feel like they used to do this a lot in comics, too. Like, there's so much crossover between the, the, the X-Men comics and this animated series. Like, them just them doing little things like that. Like, oh, let's put some of the creative team in here. Or, like, let's put the whoever is um, the top exec at Marvel right now. Let's insert them into a story. But, yeah, that, that, that's pretty cool. I like that. 
I gotta get that book because it seems like there are so many great behind the scenes tidbits. Yeah, the they've got two really great books out. Um previously on X Men I, I highly recommend it's super good. Uh, but they have a, another one that they released a little a little while ago, and you can find it at places like Target even. Uh, but it's just like the making of – it's like the art and making of the animated series. And so it goes into a lot more detail into the the creative side, like the art, art – the artistic side and like coming up with the uh, the storyboards. And it shows a lot more of like the um, – the the sketches that they don't necessarily use I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name what that stuff is called now uh but it would be like the the preliminary sketches and stuff like the yeah, character yeah. designs that don't get used so they show a lot more of that stuff and they kind of go season by season episode by episode and they'll show you a lot of the like additional artwork and stuff so it's really cool you get a lot of the same stories and 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 other things like that but you get like some more input from from some of the other creative people as well. So that's both of those. I, I highly recommend they're definitely worth reading for sure. I've uh, heard a lot from this uh, previously on X-Men book and I've been wanting to check it out. From. Doesn't it actually like go like episode by episode and give you like the whole story behind like whatever stories they've compiled about it and the making of it. It does. Yeah. They, they go episode by episode, season by season, and, and it gives you some little anecdotes um, uh, regarding like the making of the episodes, uh, but it also has like interviews with the executives, uh, some of the writers. It has interviews with like all the voice cast members and stuff. Awesome. Uh, but it goes into detail as far as like how the show was greenlit in the first place, and kind of like how Stan Lee almost ruined the show <laughs> with his involvement. Um, ironically, of course, but like it, it just has a lot of really interesting stuff that that went on behind the scenes. Sweet. Yeah. So at this point in the episode, we check back in with the spirit drinker again. I don't think we know that's its name yet, so I probably jumped the gun there. But we check back in with the beast again, and this time we start getting, like, the weird heads or, like, Jubilee's head or, like, the Reaver's heads will pop out and, like, talk to the characters in, like, a really phantasmic sort of way. Like, you get Jubilee, like, Wolverine, no, don't hurt me, and... And then, you know, we get the Reavers all coming in like, Lady Deathstrike, don't leave us here and stuff. Like, really weird and kind of spooky. My son didn't like it. <laughs> He's like, yeah. ooh, this is weird. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a little spooky for a cartoon. But at that point, like, we start to, um, like, see these characters. And Wolverine's like, no, I can't leave you. And so he discovers, like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, adamantium hurts this thing. So he and Deathstrike decide they are going to go on the offensive, you know, um, they're, they're going to fight this thing. If, if Jubilee's still in there somewhere and the Reavers are still in there somewhere, then maybe they're still alive. And like, if they defeat the beast, then, you know, the, the characters will kind of wake up. And so he sends Gambit along with Jubilee to escape the sewers, to go find the rest of the X-Men to get help. Um, and so he and Deathstrike kind of turn and to have like a last stand against this creature and they start attacking it with their claws and and it's going okay uh until eventually Lady Deathstrike she then gets taken by this creature as well. You know, he the Wolverine and, and Deathstrike are able to fight off like a lot of the tendrils, but one of them gets through and wraps itself around Lady Deathstrike as well. And so that now she's been taken by this creature. Yeah, you know what? I thought 
was funny too is like there's so many turnarounds on what people want to do in this episode. Like no <laughs> one can make up their mind of what to do. So you know, Wolverine wants to run, and Lady Deathstrike wants to fight. But then Lady Deathstrike wants to run, and Wolverine is now ready to fight. And then, you know, Lady Deathstrike, a, a little bit ago, she made this point like she was this, uh, just this heartless assassin. She didn't really care about the Reavers. Like, who cares? Who cares that they're stuck in there? And now she's like, I won't leave you behind. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so many turns that these, that these characters have in this episode. Yeah, their motivation just kind of changes scene by scene. You know, it would like it would make sense if if Deathstrike's the one that wants to fight the whole time and Wolverine wants to run or, or vice versa, but they kind of just keep flipping and flopping. Um I guess that just comes with having like such a mercurial berserker rage like these two characters have, but yeah, yeah it yeah. is a little funny how it's like flip a coin this scene. All right, which one which one wants to fight, which one wants to run? Uh and ultimately like by the time they both want to fight at the same time together, is when Lady Deathstrike gets taken. But of course, you know, now we can't just have Wolverine alone by himself. And so right when Lady Deathstrike gets taken is like when Gambit shows up and he's like, oh, hey, guess what? Like I was on my way out. Look who I ran into, you know, Professor Xavier and Beast and Gene and Cyclops. Like they're all here. Um, and so Wolverine's like, that's great. Like I'm kind of fighting this creature right now. Like it sort of ran away. It took Deathstrike and it ran. So like I've got to chase I got to chase this thing down. And so Beast and Xavier are like, no, that's fine. Like you do what you got to do. Cause we're going to go check out this ship. And I like Cyclops and Gambit and Jean are like, well, I, I guess we're going with Wolverine then like Beast and Xavier didn't invite us to see the ship. So we'll just go with the, the angry man instead. And they, and so that's like what they start doing. They, they go out and, uh, I believe Jean starts to use her like telepathy to try to reach out to the creature's mind. And she screams out in pain much the way Xavier did, but you know, nothing really comes of it. She's just like, Ooh, that hurt. Uh, and then meanwhile, like beast and Xavier get to the ship. They're, they're able to go right in. Uh, they're kind of looking around, trying to look for clues to figure out what kind of a creature it is that they're up against. They find what appears to be like a fishbowl containment center type thing that's been broken. And, you know, Beast Sermis yeah. is like, oh, this must have been where this guy was. And Xavier's like, yeah, I think you're right, Henry. And like he sees that there's like this weird writing on the wall and he reaches out and touches it. And he has like this weird little like mind quake type thing. And he's like, oh, hey, I can read all the alien writing. It says, you know, danger. So, Beast, yes. why don't you go, like, and then he tells Beast, like, hey, Beast, go warn these guys that this is a dangerous creature. And uh, I'll stay on the ship and do some research. And Beast is like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go tell them it's a dangerous creature that they're fighting. And and Beast takes off. Yeah, yeah I love that no one learns their lesson about this ship, too, throughout the episode. Like, every time they've touched something in or about the ship or the creature itself, like, someone has had an incredible shock to their psyche or been incapacitated. Like Deathstrike got hit by it. Wolverine cut it open. The creature came out. Um, Xavier has had several mind melds with this thing. And it like is extremely painful. Gene does the same thing. And then Xavier goes inside the ship and immediately touches the thing that has the writing. It's like, what did you think was going to happen, dude? Like every, 
every time they've come in contact with it or done something that they were unsure about, they've gotten hurt. But yeah, um, so have they realized yet? Yeah, okay, so he realized it's danger, but they haven't put it together yet that it's uh, like a prison ship yet, right? I think Beast kind of guesses that. He's like, I think this was a prison ship. Um, yeah. And I think that's when Xavier's like, all right, cool. Well, you you go yeah. tell the others they're in danger. <laughs> um, but I'm going to stay here and, like, see if I can hop onto this guy's, like, Facebook page. Um, right. So he, like, so hops bad. on the computer, you know, and he's, like, clickety-clacking away. Um, I, I just like that he he sends Beast to tell the X-Men yeah, okay. it's a dangerous creature they're fighting, <laughs> as if they haven't yep. figured that out by yep. fighting it so far. <laughs> yes, not obvious at all. They literally had to read the writing on the wall before they could declare it. That it was actually a dangerous uh, entity. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but but this is the scene, kind of like what you were talking about, where we get to see like the origin of the spirit drinker. So, yeah. which which I have written in my notes finally, because I think Xavier finally says it about this time. But they find out it, it, it's an alien prison ship, and it was in, imprisoned this thing called the spirit drinker, which like sucks in spirits and then after so long it'll like digest them and then they'll die i guess um but we see the the spacecraft in the sewer with like some sewer workers and they're like they touch the ship and like get paralyzed i guess i don't know they don't really explain it they're just like oh yeah some bad stuff happened to some like sewer worker guys that were down here at one point but it yeah. doesn't really explain you know why like they don't explain why they showed us that they just did i i guess they needed like yeah. we need to fill 3 seconds of time draw some some sewer guys like looking like they're in pain by the way um that so so now we all know that it's a jail ship and it's you know that this creature is is dangerous thankfully we know that now with like yeah. two scenes left in the episode uh, but at this point, like Wolverine has has tracked the monster down to like a subway station. Uh, the spirit drinker has like run up on yeah, with the, the subway. electrified. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like it scares yeah. all the so people they, they, away. You know that would be scary. So this is this is was a little confusing to me because they make it a point to show that these tracks are electrified, right? Uh, Wolverine gets tossed onto them and like electrocuted. I'm not exactly sure what happens. But I, I was getting the idea that it wasn't the adamantium that hurt this thing, but it was the electricity. It, did they try to make that seem like the electricity hurt this thing or no? Yeah, like that, I think that's kind of what, what I got from it too, because like the X-Men have cornered the beast here at this subway station. All the, the commuters have run away. And like Wolverine's been able to like cut its tendrils when it sends them out. And it's been kind of, he's kind of been yeah. okay to like hurt it a little bit. Um, or at least annoy it at some point. But yeah, like the, the, the creature is like, all right, enough is enough. It knocks Wolverine back and he lands on the third rail of the, the subway track and he realizes that like the piece of tendril that he had, that he had cut off had landed on the third rail as well and was like writhing in pain and was yeah. like slowly being destroyed. And so that's when he tells the X-Men like, let's see if we can't get some electricity into this thing and Gambit's like, yeah. Oh cool. Like I have a metal staff. What are the odds? I'll just chuck it through this creature thing and it'll land like 
inside the creature, but because the creature is like <laughs> yeah. intangible, it'll go through the creature. It'll land on the third rail. It will electrify and it will like electrify this, the spirit drinker. So that's what he does. He just like chucks his staff and it lands perfectly where it needs to. And it's like enough electrical power that like eventually the spirit drinker is destroyed. <laughs> and like, that's it, man. Yeah. Like, so long spirit drinker, all of the spirits that he had taken, including the Morlock spirits, they all return to their bodies and we get like kind of like almost a happy ever after story for the Morlocks. Uh, Lady Deathstrike and the Reavers come over and they're like, all right, Logan, since you saved us, we'll let it slide yeah. this time. But like we will meet again and like we'll take your adamantium skeleton because we're creepy like that. So so that resolves that storyline. And then Xavier meets up with the X-Men as well. And he's like, well, hey, guess what? When I was in the alien ship, I had like this premonition of, you know, this this space war that's going on. And it like it gives us a little yeah. glimpse in some some uh, um, like foreshadowing of what's to come. And then it kind of yeah. ends. The episode ends saying like the Phoenix saga, you know, is is coming or whatever. Yeah, with um, with real flames yeah. that appear on an animated Earth, which uh, <laughs> I don't know, it, it's kind of weird, but I, I remember it. That is something I remember from this. Um, I remember seeing that, and I remember, I think you and I have talked about this before, but the Phoenix Saga was released at a different time. It was like in the evening through the week or something. It wasn't like a Saturday mm-hmm. morning thing. Yep. And... I remember seeing it like that. It was like there would be a part on each night uh, throughout the week. And I don't know if if they did it all in the same week, like Monday through Friday, or if it was like once a week. I can't remember. But I do remember it was weird to have X-Men on at like 5 p.m. or whatever it was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they they did. They did um, like an after-school special each day of the week, Monday through Friday, the week that the Phoenix Saga premiered. So, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I just remember being really like enthralled by that whole uh, the Phoenix Saga story unfolding day after day, and just the fact that it was like five parts. Like we hadn't had anything that big yet. We got all these multi-part episodes and stuff, but nothing, nothing that large. It was like a, a grand thing that they were doing, and you know, cartoons didn't do that back then. Like it was wildly. It was like an ambitious thing to do with a a kids cartoon that's aimed at like you know six to ten year olds. Yeah. No, um, one I, thing I did want to mention agree. though it, is um so I really like that they included that like that the the scene with Lady Deathstrike and at the end kind of saying yeah I owe you my life but you know we will be back uh, you haven't seen the last of me but it shows like you know this like warrior's code, this, like, honor between that she bows to Wolverine before she leaves, and I thought that was pretty cool that they included that, like, uh, that there's still, even though there's all this hatred and animosity and she, you know, hates him more than anything, um, there's still this code of honor that she that she goes by. I dug that. Yeah, no, I, I agree, too. And if you remember going back to Lady Deathstrike month on, on Talk and Snicked proper, I tried to cover a a couple stories that showed her honorable side 
because yeah. like Lady Deathstrike is this ruthless killer and she's she's come pretty close to like bringing Wolverine to his knees. You know, we have the Wounded Wolf storyline that that is a huge example of like her ruthlessness and how close she's gotten to killing Wolverine. But there's a difference between Lady Deathstrike and Sabretooth or Lady Deathstrike and Omega Red. She yeah. has that code of honor that, uh, you know, not even Donald Pierce, like none of Wolverine's major villains seem to have that. Uh, but Lady Deathstrike does. So I, I like that you bring that part up too. And, and I like when she's walking away, you know, and, and Wolverine just like, you know, in pain, he's just like, Yuriko, you know, as, as she's walking away, just kind of says under her, like under his breath, just like this painful yeah. thing. Cause he knows, like, he knows the, the, what they had is he'll never have that with her again. Like from, from now right. on, like this is how it's going to be between the two of them. Yeah. They're now enemy. Yeah, man. I enjoyed it. Uh, overall, I, uh, I enjoyed the episode. I, I don't know if I liked this one or the first part better. Maybe the first one, just because I always love the episode that shows so much origin stuff. I love mm-hmm. that they give the, the death strike origin in that, uh, give us more weapon X stuff in that. Um, so I probably prefer part one over part two a little bit. Um, also, I I don't know why it bothers me, but them fighting this entity that, like you said, it's like an intangible thing. It's like not quite there. You know, it's like a floating entity that things can pass through. I don't, I don't know. It just seems extremely difficult. Like, how do you... How do you decide, like, what hurts it, what doesn't? Um, Wolverine can hit it with its claws, but it's completely see-through. It just, I don't know. I don't know that I liked the interaction with the thing. But Mm. overall, I thought it was a pretty cool story and a a cool way to bring Lady Deathstrike in and bring in this alien element Mm -hmm. uh, and somehow make it, like, cohesive. It's like, yeah, we're going to move the story along with this alien element we're also going to introduce this character from Wolverine's past that really has nothing to do with this alien, but, you know, make it a cool story that's uh, like, it blends these two things together. Yeah. yeah and, it, and it all fits together, like, really nicely. Like, it makes sense. You know, the, the Reavers are there. They're hunting for Wolverine. Something gets stolen, which takes yeah. them to the Morlock tunnels. We already know the Morlocks have the history with the X-Men, so naturally they would they would call the X-Men for help, you know. And then it brings him to this place, and and I love that like Leech is just like, oh, by the way, there's like an alien ship back there, um, yeah, back you know back in part one, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's like everything just kind of flows into the next thing. It, it makes sense. There's no like nonsensical leaps in logic or or anything. It's just it takes you from from one event into the next one. Like everything is a cause and effect throughout these two episodes and and yeah like it sounds kind of weird because it's like we're getting this wolverine story um of like loss and betrayal and and love and everything and and this really scary new villain and lady deathstrike and the reavers uh but like we need to introduce some alien stuff but like none of it seems out of place like it all just fits together and you don't question it because you're like all right yeah like the ship's there and so that's where they go next and then they inadvertently release the beast and so then they have to fight that thing off and like, it all just makes sense. And then that leads into, you know, the, the Phoenix saga. Like, I I think that I'm not even realizing it until right now talking about it, but they did a lot in those 40 minutes. Like, they told a lot of story. They were able to give us 
the origin with Lady Deathstrike and the, 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 the romance between her and Logan and, you know, the, how the Reavers came about her, how she became what she is now, and, and this whole story of like, oh, this was an alien that, that was in a prison ship. And there's just so much that actually, so much story was actually told in this little two-parter that I didn't even realize it until the end, like, looking back, like, man, they really did do a lot in this short amount of time. <laughs> yeah, they really did. They really did. I think that covers the episode. Like, we had, we had a good breakdown, um, some good stuff to say about this particular episode and, and both of these episodes combined. So I'm pretty satisfied with uh, with our coverage, unless there's anything else you can think of that you wanted to mention. Uh, just make sure you watch the Chippendale movie. <laughs> and, uh, and anybody who's interested in some great bonus content, come check out the Marvel Plus Patreon because you don't want to miss. If you liked the tangents that Ryan and I went on in this episode, then you're going to love the bonus content. Shameless yeah, self-plug. Yeah, no, very, very good, very good. Because I was going to ask you then, uh, you know, now that you've kind of plugged the Patreon, people are like, oh, cool, there's a Patreon. What's the Patreon for again? If this is the first episode that any of my listeners have heard of you why don't you tell them where they can find you and what that Patreon is even for? Yes. So uh, my podcast is called Marvel Plus, and I focus solely on the Disney Plus Marvel series and all the stories they're telling over there. Each week I have a new guest on. Ryan's been on quite a few times. Um, and I have a lot of returning guests, but but I try to bring in new and interesting people all the time to uh, – break down individual episodes. We go through every single series, episode by episode, do a big round table at the end of each series, and it's a whole lot of fun. Um, this whole idea of serialized Marvel stories, I'm absolutely loving it. I, I love that we have like more than just the movies now. We have this stuff that I can watch episodically, week by week. Um, just brings me back to my childhood, you know, having to wait to find out what happens. But that's uh that's what I do overall Marvel Plus. It's all about the Disney Plus Marvel series. If you're interested in that, please go check it out. And the Patreon is is an extension of that where I talk about things outside of the Disney Plus series. Anything else like Marvel or pop culture related and this falls right into that. Like Ryan and I uh going on for 40 minutes about random stuff that we enjoy. <laughs> It's right up the alley of my Patreon. So if you're interested in it, go check it out. Uh, I'd really appreciate it. Nice. Well, Bub, you heard him. Like, go check out his stuff. It's uh, it's really good. And, uh, yeah, I've been on there quite a few times, too. So if you need to, to wade in slowly, go look for all the episodes that I was on first and then check out all the rest of the stuff. All right, awesome. Brett. Well, Thanks, uh, man. Yeah, no problem. I was going to say that sums it up. So uh, thanks so much for coming back on. It, as always, it's been a huge pleasure. Yeah, you know, I'm uh, I'm available anytime you have a Wolverine-centric episode, or even, yes, if you want to bring me back for Jubilee's terrible storybook adventure, I'll, I'll come and do that, too. Awesome. All right, thanks, Ryan. So there you have it, bub. That was part two of my conversation with Brett Scott from Marvel Plus. Hope you guys all enjoyed it as much as I did. That uh, stuff that we did in the first half 
comparing our ideas for an updated Wolverine amalgam with a DC character. That was a lot of fun. And unlike in the previous episode where Brett and I actually talked about it ahead of time, we were both kind of going in blind as far as who each other chose to amalgamate with Wolverine. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, Deathstroke and Nightwing, I think excellent choices to amalgamate with with Wolvie. Uh, Of course, all of our talk about (laughs) the Sega Genesis and Sonic 2 uh, was also a lot of fun. I, I can honestly say that in the weeks since we have recorded this episode from when you're hearing it, uh, my kids have watched Sonic the Hedgehog 2 probably 20 more times, uh, and they've even kind of gotten me infected with Sonic fever as well. Uh, I started playing the Sonic Mania game on my Switch. Uh, it was a download that my kids had downloaded onto the Switch before they got their own Switch lights, and of course, it was one of the first games that they had re-downloaded, but it's one that I haven't played very much, and so I'm currently playing through on a uh, one-player game as my main man, Knuckles. So I'm, I think I'm like two zones away from, from the final boss battle. It's been a lot of fun. So much nostalgia playing a Sonic side-scroller once again. Uh, but, you know, with updated graphics, it actually reminds me a lot of like the new Super Mario Brothers series where you still have the side-scrolling uh, fun of the classic games from, you know, when I was a kid and, and when probably most of my listeners were kids. Uh, as you heard the demographics, like most of my listeners are, you know, in my same age range. So you probably all grew up playing this game as well. So, yeah. So just to add to <laughs> to more of the the Sonic 2 talk on this amazing X-Men podcast. Uh, I know that by the time you're listening to this, you are probably all wondering, you know, where the heck is uh, the the fourth Omega Red episode that was supposed to close us out for the month of May. And I can say, sit tight, it is coming soon. I do apologize for the delay. It was just that week that I had that scheduled to record and then scheduled to release. It was just a hectic week. It was like the last week of school for the kids. It was a super busy week at work. I had a lot, I had a lot of projects that were kind of expected to come to a close. So there was a lot of last minute struggling and, and rushing to make sure that everything was, was closed out, uh, on, you know, on, at my job and everything. So yeah, it was just a rough week. And, uh, I, I wanted to make sure that when I finally got to that episode, I did it justice because it actually encompasses a few different Wolverine issues that kind of jump around. And so I wanted to make sure that I was getting the comprehensive coverage of that whole storyline that I was talking about. And so I just wanted to make sure that I gave myself enough time to really read the stories and understand what was going on to uh, appropriately cover those for you all. So again, sit tight. The The final Omega Red episode is coming soon. And then there might be another lull in Snicktoons pro or excuse me in talking Snicked proper as I try to kind of come up with the next month or the next few months worth of stuff I'm going to cover so uh, open to suggestions those of you who are on the discord throw some suggestions my way I'm, I'm open to, to covering kind of whatever Wolverine stuff you want maybe there's like some random Wolverine crossover with I don't know Savage Dragon or something weird like that I know we crossed over with like Witchblade and the Darkness once I don't know maybe I'll kind of move out and cover, you know, in in the same vein of like this Wolverine amalgam stuff, Wolverine DC stuff that uh, Brett and I were talking about. Maybe I'll move into uh, some Wolverine crossovers with with non-Marvel characters. I think that might be kind of fun, but I don't know, whatever. I'm I'm open to suggestions, so let me know what you guys would all like to see happen on Talkin' Snicked proper. And of course, 
Tune in next Saturday for our next episode of Saturday Morning Snicktoons as a returning special guest host and myself break down X-Men the Animated Series Season 3, Episode 3, The Phoenix Saga Part 1, Sacrifice. All right, long title, but uh, it's, a gr- it's a great episode. I've actually recorded it. I'm like three weeks ahead now in, in Snicktoons, so I can, I can uh, honestly say it's going to be a great episode, so tune in next week. Of course... Make sure you stay tuned to the very end of this episode. Check out the track Back from the Dead by the very talented musician Retcon X, a guy who uh, created and composed some original music inspired by the X-Men. And if you like the track, then make sure you check out his Spotify playlist and his YouTube channel, where he's got a bunch of other original music also inspired by the X-Men. Until next time, bub.